You have one unheard message. Hi, I was calling Current, the influencer marketing platform, but I think I just got redirected to a bunch of people listening to a podcast. Well, anyways, I was calling Current because I was told they could help get my brand set up on TikTok Shop and even build out an affiliate program of content creators promoting my brand and even have those content creators go on live streams and promote my product there. Wow, I could really use Current. I also heard that the brands they work with are making millions in sales. I guess I'll just go to their website at current.tech. This is the story of The One. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. Welcome to the Cyber Law and Business Report. Get the top story on the hot-button Internet legal topics of the day. This is your home for the latest on, on Internet law and policy. Hear the latest net trends impacting business and have your questions answered right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report. Now, please welcome your host, the founder of the Internet Law Center, Bennett Kelly. Good morning. This is Bennett Kelly with the Internet Law Center. We're broadcasting live here in downtown Santa Monica, the heart of Silicon Beach. Thank you for joining us. Please be seated. We got a great show for you today, and it's a very historic day. Um, today is actually the day when the words Houston, we have a problem were uttered uh, many years ago for Apollo 13. But we actually have the problem going on right now is uh, we have a guest Evan Engstrom, and he's going to be talking about presidential politics and um, his group of Engine, and he's calling from San Francisco, and here I am in Southern California, and we're probably the only two people in the Bay Area or Southern California that are talking about basketball with the <laughs> with the with the Warriors, <laughs> with the Warriors going for the record tonight in um, up in the Oracle Arena, and in Staples Center is Kobe Bryant's last game. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I've seen that some of the uh, ticket prices, and it looks like we're talking in the neighborhood as much as um, twenty thousand dollars for courtside seats for some of these games, and twenty five thousand dollars upward at Staples Center and Oracle. Um, it's close to that as well. So, <laughs> thank you for joining us, Evan. I appreciate um, you coming on again. We previously had um, Engine on our show. Three years ago, when they talked about their startup day, uh, where they were bringing start a group of startups to Capitol Hill, and so Evan, why don't you tell us a little bit about uh, Engine and, and what you do there? Sure, thanks for having me. Um, so Engine is a, a nonprofit research and advocacy organization that supports startups. I'm the executive director. I was formerly the policy director. Uh, what we try to do is basically make startups a political voice in Washington and make sure that legislators and policymakers understand the issues that impact the startup community. Um, you know, as we like to say, 
uh, or like to point out rather, um, startups are responsible for all new net job growth in the country. So this is a really important constituency to to make sure that you know policy is working uh, to help promote the community. Because you know if you want to promote economic development, uh, we're your people. So we started uh, kind of out of the uh, SOPA PIPA debate uh, in 2011-2012, which was uh, sort of the big public response to uh, bad copyright. Uh, legislation that was proposed. The internet kind of rose up to, to challenge uh, the, the the bill. And, and it was sort of, I guess, the, the first moment that tech became a widely recognized political constituency. Uh, and we wanted to make sure that the small entrepreneurs and innovators in that space were, were having their voices heard. So, um, you know, since then, we've been working to uh, create good public policy for startups. And you mentioned SOPA. That's often referred to as the day when the internet came of age politically. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think since then we've seen a few other moments where uh, this this constituency has has gelled together and, and pushed uh, to uh, for or against particular legislation. I'm thinking here, you know, last year net neutrality was a big one. Exactly. Uh, you know, patent reform to a little bit of a lesser extent, but you know, it is a strong voice. I, I think we're we're being recognized a little bit more uh, for for what we do. Uh, it's pretty easy. As I always like to say, you know, representing startups with with government is is like representing, you know, puppies or ice cream. Everybody likes us and wants <laughs> wants to be with us. So it's it's great. We don't have a lot of contentious meetings, but it's it's one thing to have people talk about liking startups, but uh, you know, quite another thing to support policies that that help us grow. That would be fun being a lobbyist for puppies. But uh <laughs> So tell us a little bit about, before we get into the scorecard, tell us a little about Startup Day and what you guys do to bring startups to Capitol Hill. Sure. So Startup Day, uh, we're, we're a series of events where we basically fly startups in to meet with legislators and, and talk informally about the issues that impact their businesses, things they're thinking about, basically just getting visibility. Uh, because you know one of the, the reason we exist uh, principally is that you know most companies of a certain size where government impacts what they do are probably, you know, well-funded enough to have lawyers and lobbyists on staff. Uh, startups don't. I mean, for a lot of companies, a, a lawyer is maybe the hundredth hire. Uh, a lobbyist or, or any kind of government affairs person is, you know, many, many hundred after that. So uh, it's, it's necessary to get in front of these people, get in front of policymakers and, and say, you know, hey, we exist. We care about these issues. Uh, you know, here's what we're facing. So we've done that in the past just to kind of get people aware that this is a political constituency to pay attention to. Uh, since then, we've brought startups in for very specific projects. Uh, you know, they've, they've started to chime in a little bit more uh, directly on on issues that impact them. And is your focus mainly on Washington or do you also focus on Sacramento, Albany and all the other State capitals? Yeah, we do. I mean, we're expanding a little bit. I mean, we're, we are a startup ourselves. We're not a huge company uh, and not a huge organization, that is. So, you know, we do principally focus on federal policy because it probably has the biggest outsized impact in terms of, you know, helping the, the, the widest number of startups. But we've weighed in on issues uh, in state legislatures. I'm thinking here of like uh, Cal ECPA, which was sort of the, the, you know, the local state precursor to the ECPA. Uh, reform that is actually getting passed out of committee today. Uh, we worked Congratulations. on Congratulations. Yeah, thanks. Uh, I'd, I'd like to take credit for doing some of that, but I can't. It's been a, a pretty big group effort. Um, we've, we've worked on, you know, ride-sharing uh, bills uh, at, at the local level. Um, you know, New York ECPA is also moving now. So we do a little bit of that, but I would say it's principally federal. It just you know, given, especially because of California being um, such a trendsetter at the state level, you know, and, and you being in San Francisco, it seems like that would, that would be an easy... Um, wouldn't be too difficult to reach out there. It is. I mean, it's it's nice that 
California generally, you know, obviously it is the heart of most startup activity, but, you know, we try to take a national view and say, hey, there are startup communities all over the country. And, you know, if you're a legislator from Nevada or Kansas, you should be paying attention to the startup community in your state. Uh, so we, we, you know, we, we try to make it, even though we are California based and a lot of great companies are here, we, we, we want to point out that this is not just a California, New York phenomenon, startup activities everywhere. So Engine has put together a candidate scorecard um, for the 2016 presidential race. And just um, for our listeners, information on the scorecard and Evan is available on our blog, which is at cyberlawradio.wordpress.com. And um, so did you do is this your first scorecard or did you do one in 2012? I believe this is our first one. Uh, I, I was not around in 2012. I don't think we did one then. Um, we just thought... For this election, uh, we were a little concerned that tech issues were not being discussed as prominently as we would like. So we wanted to you know, kind of hold the candidates out there and, and make sure everyone knew where they were on these issues. Are you suggesting that tech issues are more important than the size of a candidate's hands? <laughs> I would say it's important. It's more important than a lot of what we've heard about in the election so far. But uh, yeah, it's been a strange election to say the least. Yes, definitely. I think that is a, a common refrain that no one disagrees with. So um, how did you pick the issues to include in the scorecard? It, it was a, a big task. I mean, there, there are a huge range of issues that impact startups. I mean, when we talk about what tech issues are important, um, it covers the ground from immigration to capital access to, uh, you know, veterans access to, to the tech workforce to telecom. I mean, it's Almost every issue is a tech issue in some way. So we had to kind of pick the, the main things that we thought candidates may have spoken on uh, or may have had a chance to vote on if they were you know, previously in the legislature um, and, and things that you know, hopefully would get some visibility uh, in this election. I mean, as much as I'd like to write an in-depth report card on spectrum policy, uh, that, that probably wouldn't get much <laughs> of an audience. No, I mean, I don't think it's even come up at all. Um, <laughs> but so you, you did – you, you did pick these issues, and these were issues that resonated with your community. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think all of these things, um, you know, and, and broadly speaking, we focused on you know privacy and security issues, um, IP issues, uh, education, talent, workforce, and then sort of broader telecom infrastructure type issues. Because you know, when we think about what it takes to make a startup grow, um, it's usually sort of access to talent, access to capital access to good connectivity, and then a favorable regulatory environment, which covers like IP issues. It's, it's basically you need to have sort of, you know, all those inputs to have a, a vibrant startup community. And we thought these issues, these these specific uh, categories of issues touched upon those those principles. So let, let's, let's walk through the issues. On, on privacy and security, there, there are two issues. You have encryption. Does the candidate recognize the importance of strong encryption? And um, and then on um, privacy and surveillance, you have does a candidate support reforming and modernizing digital privacy and government surveillance laws? And I think that's I, I commend you for doing that because we've had people on this show talk about how um, at least those you know the um, technology companies in the cloud or have been taking a beating because of the fallout from the NSA scandal. And we're seeing some of the, the ramifications also in Europe in terms of um, the, the whole battle over the safe harbor. So um, I, I think that I'm glad you did that. So let, let's talk about encryption. Um, what is your view and, and where, where do you see the candidates coming down on this? So I encryption, I think, is an interesting test for candidates because 
it, it not only speaks to a specific policy that that is important, you know, do you support strong encryption, but it also speaks to, I think, a general technical aptitude. Because, you know, if, if, if you're of the mind that there's a way to create a secret government backdoor that, that only the FBI can access, um, you probably don't have a good grasp on the underlying technology, which should just kind of scare people in this community. Uh, so I, I think it's important to, to you know, use this as, as sort of an example of, you know, how well are you educating yourself and engaging with the underlying technology that you need to understand to make sensible policy? Um, you know, our, our general approach to this is uh, strong encryption is good for safety. It's good for business. It's something that, that users demand. It's something that we need to protect uh, people from cyber criminals. Uh, and of course, if you don't allow strong encryption in the U.S., uh, Bad actors will just use encrypted services created overseas. So, you know, we see it as um, kind of a no-brainer where, you know, obviously we want to prevent whatever terrorist activity we can, but uh, banning encryption doesn't seem to do that. Uh, And so what we've seen with the candidates is I would say that the Democratic candidates have generally talked in sort of vague generalities about like, listen, we need, we need, we know the value of encryption, but we also want to make sure that law enforcement has the tools they need, which isn't, it's kind of wishy-washy, um, I think, but at least recognizing the value of encryption is a good first step. Um, right. Other candidates have not, uh, basically they've just said, you know, national security above all else without really digging into why weakened encryption might hurt national security efforts, uh, which is concerning for us. And I believe Donald Trump actually called for a boycott of Apple over yes. the encryption battle. Yeah, I, I think Trump has some issues with understanding uh, the technology generally, both on this issue and on, on sort of broader um, tech issues. Um, I think he said something like Apple should just give the FBI that secret number, uh, which – of course, isn't at all uh, what was that issue in the FBI-Apple dispute. It was about forcing Apple to create uh, a, a new operating system that would bypass the encryption on an iPhone. So it wasn't just – like he, it seemed like he assumed there was already some kind of backdoor key, encryption key that Apple had, which I think is just kind of reveals a lack of engagement on the issue. And, and so – and then on the privacy side, you know, the – the other issue that you were focusing on again was modernizing digital privacy and government surveillance. And where where have the candidates landed on that? Um, it's you know it's it's a little bit across the board. I would say. I mean, some candidates recognize that you know NSA spying has a big detrimental impact on business. I mean, because the, the way we think about this is um, strong privacy protections sort of rise all boats, right? And if, if you have confidence in the safety of your information on the cloud or in the cloud, you're much more likely to use services that are, are rooted in the cloud. I mean, you right. know, for, for every hack of, um, you know, for every Sony hack, for every um, iCloud hack, you're diminishing consumer confidence. You're making it less likely that consumers are going to use these services. Uh, and with respect to cloud services, it's often startups that are driving that activity because it's a little bit lower in terms of um, the capital requirements to build out these services. Uh, so we think that there's a, you know, a strong business case for strong privacy. Um, and we're seeing that, like you mentioned earlier, uh, with the, the European safe harbor. Um, if, if we have bad uh, encrypt, uh, bad privacy protections here, it's going to make countries that have uh, much more you know, robust privacy protections um, 
you know, less likely to work with us uh, and, and may push uh, businesses to a competitive disadvantage in those markets as well. Um, so, so some people, I think, have been generally pretty good about about these issues, probably more so than on the encryption side of things. Um, you know, if, if you are more of like a libertarian candidate, you probably support um, curbs to, to privacy uh you know, limits on, on, on essay spying, things like that. Um, but I haven't heard a lot of people talk about it in terms of the business impact, uh, which I think is, you know, from our perspective, kind of what we're concerned about. Right. And so in grading on just privacy and security, Bernie Sanders came up on top with a B, um, followed by Hillary at B minus, Ted Cruz at C, um, Kasich at C minus, and then Donald Trump got a um, – Glorious F. <laughs> <laughs> Donald Trump got an F on a lot of these issues. Um, you know, he, he when it comes to NSA spying, he said he sort of errs on the side of security when considering government surveillance. Uh, he also endorsed government surveillance of Muslim communities, which uh, I think is obviously problematic. Uh, maybe it's maybe less specific of a tech issue, but uh, sort of it, it indicates kind of where he is on that topic. Um, you know, Cruz has generally sided on, on, on the side of national security, or, or that's what he frames it as. Um, and, and I think, you know, the, the Democratic candidates have been a little bit more um, outspoken about curbing NSA surveillance powers. Um, you know, I, I, Clinton has, has said kind of things about both. You know, she's basically said she's right. supported the NSA reform bill, you know, USA Freedom Act, but also said that, you know, it's, there needs to be a balance between um, surveillance and, and privacy uh, Sanders has been pretty outspoken on government surveillance, uh, you know, opposing uh, wire, warrantless wiretapping, uh, introducing the Restore Our Privacy Act. Uh, so that's, I mean, generally speaking, it's, it sort of fits within his his larger um, campaign message. Uh, so he's been pretty good on those issues. Um, also, I think it reflects a, a, his, a historical fact that um, once people can once a candidate gets in the White House, and you know, and Hillary being the the wife of a former president, um, presidents tend to exert uh, and defend the their own executive prerogatives more once they're in the, in office. You know, you saw that with Senator, you know, the transformation from Senator Obama to President Obama. Right. You know, his view on executive authority seemed to change um, substantially once once he was in office, and so I think that that could might explain some of the nuance between the two. Yeah. So the yeah. next issue we have is intellectual property yes and that's principally patent reform does a candidate support reform to weaken patent trolls and improve patent quality and on that actually to this week you have good news where there's a report that patent lawsuits have dropped dramatically and since the um, enactment of uh, patent reform yeah so there's there have been some you know patent reform rules on the edges here and there. But, you know, I think by and large, we don't have the large comprehensive reform that we'd like. Um, you know, we're, we're working on a venue bill uh, right now that, that that's uh, kind of going around the hill that would limit uh, trolls' ability to uh, file lawsuits in the Eastern District of Texas, where a majority of trolling lawsuits are filed, even though there's no connection typically to, to that jurisdiction. Um, it's a huge problem. It's something that we've worked on for a long time uh, because startups tend to be the targets of these extortionate lawsuits where, you know, a non-practicing entity or a patent troll, which just basically buys up or, or collects uh, 
vague and overbroad patents will um, file extorted lawsuits against small entities who who can't afford to defend um, and consequently just you know, have to pay extortionate settlements. Uh, so this is a big problem within our community. It's been ongoing for a while. We've had a couple of rounds of trying to get comprehensive uh, legislation passed to fix it, uh, which is why we wanted to put it in here. Um, and also just kind of call attention to the fact that a lot of these candidates have not been on the record uh, when it comes to patent reform. Uh, and it's something that I think this community really does care about deeply uh, and and wanting to point that out and, and, and make sure that the, the campaigns knew that this is something they should be talking about. Well, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll learn we'll learn more about why the, all all these cases are filed in Beaumont and other issues in the 2016 race. Um, after these messages, you're listening to Cyber Law and Business Report. Stay tuned for more of the Cyber Law and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics. So you know their SEO experts, but did you know they can help you with PBC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today at BruceClay.com. Reinventing keyword research, simplifying campaign optimization, redefining competitive analysis. SpyFu brings you an entirely new way to find the most profitable keywords for your SEO and PPC campaigns. New tools, new data, and a brand new look. We've streamlined SpyFu so that you can optimize your search engine marketing more efficiently, more accurately, and more intuitively. Visit SpyFu.com, that's S-P-Y-F-U.com, and start downloading your competitors' keywords now. Try it free. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back. We're talking to Evan Engstrom of Engine about their um, scorecard for the 2016 presidential race on tech issues. And we were just talking about patent reform. And here's an interesting fact. 24 in, in the year 2013, 24.5% of federal patent suits filed that year were filed in the Eastern District of Texas, Beaumont, Texas. As we all know, that is not the tech epicenter of the world. <laughs> um, but for some reason, it has become the epicenter of patent litigation. So, and I think John Oliver recently did a, a great takeoff on this and um, you know, the fact that there are tech companies actually building ice rinks outside the courthouse <laughs> um, you know, as a way to curry favor to the, to the, the potential jury pool in Beaumont. Um, how, how did this happen? It's, 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 it's funny you mentioned the John Oliver piece. We, we think of him as maybe the best uh, tech lobbyist out there these days between, between his patent uh, piece and his net neutrality piece. He's really been, uh, been spot on on these issues. Um, but you know, as for why Texas, I, you know, they, the Eastern District – Cities in the Eastern District will advertise their city as being um, IP friendly. It's 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 basically been a pretty good boon to the local economy, um, and the rules in the Eastern District of Texas are favorable for plaintiffs. Um, you you know you have to file a motion to file a summary judgment motion uh, in in Texas, so you have to get leave to just do this sort of rather basic thing that happens in most civil litigation. Um, and of course, they 
grant these motions for summary judgment on invalidity at a much lower rate than other courts uh, throughout the country. Something like 18% of motions for summary judgment of invalidity are granted in the Eastern District of Texas compared to 31% nationwide. Uh, so, you know, the pace is also a little bit faster in the Eastern District of Texas typically, which puts pressure on, on defendants, particularly uh, defendants with, you know, smaller uh, coffers, uh, and, and consequently, they feel the, the, the pressure to settle, um, which is really what a lot of these uh, trolls are looking for, is just quick and easy settlements, rather than having to go through an expensive litigation process, go through a Markman hearing, and all the costs associated with discovery and, and patent litigation. Um, it's a pretty good business model for both trolls and uh, the Eastern District. Now, I mean, and, and by the way, and John Oliver, the, the Hill um, magazine, the Hill, the Hill newsletter, actually um, re- referred to John Oliver as the, the number one tech lobbyist <laughs> in America. So you're, you're not alone in having that view. So uh, on this issue, it seems that the, the record's somewhat incomplete. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of these the patent reform issues came after uh, Senator Clinton had already moved on to um, be Secretary of State. And um, but what about did did you go able to evaluate her record in Secretary of State in terms of you know protecting intellectual property abroad? You know she hasn't said a ton. Um, there you know in, in two thousand eight when she was campaigning, she sort of indicated that that you know IP protection was you know really important for innovators, and we don't want to weaken those rules, which some took as kind of anti um, patent reform. But it's it's been pretty um, you know nondescript, I would say generally. Um, recently, she she made comments about sort of like. Limiting uh, IP rights, if you know, for for sort of failure to repatriate taxes or something like that. Um, but she's generally not talked about the issue, um, which is kind of what we see across the board with the candidates. Um, again, we're looking at one specific issue, so you know, Kasich, who who wasn't uh, in any sort of uh, legislature at the time this was going on, hasn't said anything about it. Uh, Trump, not surprisingly, hasn't said anything about it. Um, uh, really, the only one, only person who has been in a bad position on this is, is Ted Cruz, who vote, was one of the only people to vote against uh, an important uh, patent ref- reform uh, bill. Um, and that's that, I think, is kind of notable amongst the candidates, where it's typically just you know either not much to say uh, because of where they were uh, in their careers at the time, uh, but he was in a position to support patent reform legislation and did not. And uh, you know that's kind of understandable since it's not as if um, patent reform is red meat for their constituents. You know that's not going to get the crowd into a frenzy. Yeah, well, it's interesting. I mean, the way we think about tech issues is they are they are decidedly nonpartisan, um, and and both both parties want to be the party of tech. Uh, and you can make a strong case that that patent reform uh, should be a conservative. Uh, policy. It's, it's about curbing uh, expensive litigation. And, and consequently, you do have a lot of great um, Republican uh, legislators that support uh, patent reform. But, but Cruz, you know, maybe it's because he's from Texas. Uh, and, and this is, you know, where the, the heart, the beating heart of uh, trolling litigation is. Uh, but ha- he's, he hasn't been on, uh, in a good position on it. We actually had Dana Rohrbacher on the show to rail against the bill um, for what he perceived as a bank bailout provision. Um, there was a provision that basically would allow banks to um, challenge and escape liability for uh, using um, – I'm trying to remember. The, there was some technology that they were using to process payments. 
and it had already been adjudicated, and somehow they were getting, uh, getting able to get around around it. And uh, he just saw the the language in the bill as being this huge bank bank bailout, and he came on and quite passionately just you know ranted about the bill. That's interesting. I mean, a lot of people have have different takes on on why they oppose it. Uh, you know, uh, generally speaking, from our perspective, it, it's pretty clear that that startups are being targeted by uh, patent troll uh, litigation. You know, that I think that part of the debate should be kind of unquestioned. Uh, it, it, there's no doubt that startups are being targeted by non-practicing entities. How we solve that problem, maybe you have a difference of opinion, whether you know it has sort of ancillary problems. I happen to think that the you know comprehensive patent reform is a net good thing. Um, and you know, people who oppose it on the grounds that it somehow hurts innovators, I think aren't really, you know, looking too closely at the the statistics on who is being targeted. So um, the next issue is education, talent, and workforce. And here's interesting. You actually apparently do have a record, and you have a great disparity among the candidates on, on this. So the issues here are education and workforce development. Does the candidate support expanded STEM education and tech educa- and tech-oriented workforce training, um, on-demand and gig economy, and immigration reform. Do you want to talk about those? Sure. Now, this is sort of a grab bag, understandably. I mean, uh, it's it kind of covers a wide range of, of workforce issues. And, and these are, I think, really important. Um, all, all three of the ones that we, we focused on are, are important uh, for, for a variety of reasons. So, you know, initially uh, on, on STEM education, uh, that I think is hugely important to the future success of the tech industry. Um, there is, generally speaking, you know, a, a talent shortage. Uh, you know, some people debate the actual numbers, but, you know, just working with the startup community, I can tell you it's it's difficult to find, uh, you know, talent, technical talent. We're simply not training enough great uh, computer science and engineering students uh, domestically. I mean, I think, you know, the numbers are something like 600,000 um, unfilled computing jobs uh, or, you know, coming on uh, coming jobs. And we're only graduating around like forty to 45,000 CS grads every year. Uh, so we need to really focus on improving uh, STEM training in this country. Um, and, and I think, you know, by and large on that uh, point, you know, people who have been positioned to talk uh, in favor of STEM have have supported it generally. There haven't been a lot of really comprehensive proposals that, that people have put forward so far. Um, you know, by and large, it hasn't been that visible of, of a of a policy issue uh, in DC. Uh, so it's not something that you know people are, are you know running their campaigns on. But it is something that we wanted to pay attention to because you know going forward to maintain our, our competitiveness uh, in in the world economy is going to depend on on filling that pipeline problem. Uh, and, and that sort of bleeds into the to the other one of the other issues we focused on, which is high skilled immigration reform. Uh, you know we. There certainly have been a lot of stories in recent days about how you know the H-1B uh, system has been abused by some companies, but I, I think that detracts from a larger narrative, which is you know we need to be attracting and bringing in uh, the best workers into this country to help grow companies, to help expand um, entrepreneurship uh, in America, um, and. I, I think there's a mixed bag from from some of the candidates on that in terms of their support for H1B uh, expansion, uh, and that that sort of transcends uh, you know partisan divides. Uh, you know, people on both sides of the aisle have been in different places on that issue. So your scorecard slammed both Bernie Sanders and and Donald Trump on this issue. Can can you explain why? <laughs> yeah. So Donald Trump was an interesting 
case here where he he made comments at uh, at one of the um, debates where he said he was changing his position on uh, high skilled immigration and you know he's generally been really opposed to um, immigration broadly I mean that's kind of been one of his his leading uh, causes, I suppose, if you want to put it like that. Um, but when it comes to high school immigration, he was asked, uh, you know, about his, his take on it. And he said, you know, I'm, I'm changing on that. Uh, and then shortly afterwards, uh, on his website, he, they, they put out a statement that basically <laughs> contradicted that and said something to the effect of um, H-1B, you know, high school immigration is neither high skilled nor immigration. It's just about taking jobs, uh, which I think is just, you know, not accurate. Uh, and it, it's disappointing where, you know, it seemed like he was going kind of in the right direction on an issue. And then, promptly about faced. Um, and then, um, you know, with respect to uh, Senator Sanders, uh, his position has been a little bit different, right? So he he has opposed expansion of high-skilled immigration in the past, but, you know, it comes from, I think, a different place where he's he, he generally disapproves of, like, guest worker programs um, because he thinks they drive down wages uh, for, right. for local uh, workers. Um, I think with respect to high-skilled, though, I, I don't think it's as, as clean as as he would make it seem i think it's we're, we're filling jobs i mean certainly the, the tech industry i think is is looking for um skilled tech workers from overseas because they're just you know there aren't as many as we need domestically so it's it conflating the, you know the immigration issue and, it, and frankly it's been one of the big problems to high-skilled immigration reform generally is it's really hard to talk about it uh, in dc without bringing in comprehensive reform uh, so right. i think there, there are a lot of people you know before rubio uh, dropped out he was probably the leading candidate in terms of um favoring uh, high-skilled uh, immigration. He, he put forward a couple of bills that would really emphasize that side of the equation. Uh, but it's difficult to convince, you know, general politicians to to support just high-skilled rather than comprehensive. Um, you know, you can't do piecemeal litigation in D.C. these days anymore, it seems. So it's been a, a pretty um, tough nut to crack in terms of how do we get what we know is a, a talent shortfall filled uh, without bringing in all these broader, really, really divisive questions about, um, you know, border security, as people say, and, and, and you know, comprehensive immigration. Now, you gave Clinton a, a B plus on this. Why was that? That was uh, the well, top, by the way, that was the top score on this. Yeah, so well, this that that kind of rounds a lot of the, these areas together. I mean, it, it, it would have been nice to be able to, to pick out specific areas um, on on you know, this, this larger category to focus on education. So she's been pretty um, positive on uh, improving, uh, you know, a well-rounded curriculum for STEM education. Um, she has, you know, generally been um, supportive, rhetorically supportive of high-skilled immigration and has called for comprehensive immigration reform in the past. Um, so, you know, she, 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 uh, She's really a consummate politician on a lot of these issues. She she finds ways to talk about it in in a way that you know is supportive, but doesn't necessarily put her too far out there. Um, so she's you can just tell she she kind of is used to being the front runner in this case and has has avoided um, you know stepping too deeply into politically contentious issues. Um, on on the final piece on the sort of the on demand and, and gig economy, it's been kind of cautious, I would say, on the Democratic side. Um, you know, Clinton has said basically that it's you know, the on-demand economy, the sharing economy, uh, it, it creates interesting opportunities, it unleashes innovation, but what do we do about workplace protections? What does the future of right. work look like with the social safety net? So again, I think she recognizes the issue in a lot of these cases and, and understands uh, what, what's at stake, but hasn't 
really either felt the need to make statements on it or or just hasn't gotten there yet. So I think, you know, unfortunately, just sort of like understanding both sides of the problem uh, puts you in a pretty good position relative to other candidates on some of these issues. Um, you know, Sanders has had, you know, has taken sort of his populist rhetoric uh, and and said, you know, applied it to this on-demand and gig economy equation um, and spoken kind of in general terms of being uh, unsure about uh, how Uber and other on-demand economy uh, platforms facilitate worker um, protections and has generally kind of, I think, been a little bit skeptical of it. Um, and It does put the Democrats in a bind because the – the resistance to the on-demand economy has often come from organized labor, which which is the backbone of the Democratic Party, and so they they have, they have to tread lightly, I think, politically. Yeah, I mean, I think that, that what's important to recognize is it's. I don't think it's as clear as just you know this is labor versus capital, right? I think I think there's a lot. You know, one of the things that Uber likes to say is when they ask drivers what they most like about their service, it's flexibility. So I think it really can help a lot of workers, um, you know, find uh, jobs and, and, and income that makes sense for them. I think it raises bigger questions about the social safety net. What does the future of work look like when we have, um, if, you know, employment-based uh, insurance and, and all these benefits tied to employment? If you know, maybe the most efficient way we we handle the labor uh, market in the future is through this sort of, um, you know, gig kind of economy where, where demand is matched much more seamlessly with supply. Um, yeah, I think it requires a, a pretty broad rethinking of how we're going to be handling issues going in the f- forward in the future. And at least, you know, people recognizing that it, it can be a difficult question that isn't going to have an easy answer in terms of like, do we just, you know, force companies to treat everyone as employee? Well, that's, that's got its own problems. Um, so I think, I think having nuance on this this issue um, is actually a good thing. So one issue that might have fit in in this category and which received a lot of attention yesterday because it was equal pay day is kind of the role of women in tech. Yes. And um, maybe that's not – maybe that's just, that's just an industry issue, not necessarily an issue before Congress. But has that – how does that come into play in, in this race? So I, I would say, broadly speaking, it's an issue that uh, just increasing diversity in the tech workforce is something that we care deeply about, and I know Congress is thinking more about. So we we helped launch the Diversifying Tech Caucus in Congress, which is a bipartisan, bicameral group of legislators that wants to work on these issues. Um, and and yeah, I think a lot of it has to do with the tech industry, you know, looking at how, you know, the cultures it creates and, and, and the benefits it offers. Um, but you've seen, you know, tech companies sort of lead the way on, um, you know, paternity and maternity leave. Uh, you know, they've, they've kind of been at the forefront of increasing those benefits. They're, I think they're really trying to um, you know, help improve that side of, of the workforce, improving diversity in, in the tech workforce. I think there is a role for, for government in some capacity, but it's going to be probably focused more on, again, benefits and then also um, STEM education. It's increasing the, te- the pipeline of talented, diverse people that can work in, in the tech industry. Um, it hasn't been a huge issue in this campaign, but I think everybody recognizes that it's a problem. Right. Yeah, I mean, it was all over the, um, the, the press yesterday just because of the you know, equal, equal yeah. pay day and you know, the studies that showed some of the disparity in pay. So the, the last one 
um, is one of the more interesting ones for me, is the broadband access and infrastructure. And this involves both an open internet, you know, does the candidate support net neutrality, and does the candidate support policy and investment to expand and improve internet connectivity, um, spectrum policy, municipal broadband infrastructure improvements. And here you actually have two candidates get an A, uh, both Senator um, Secretary Clinton and Senator Sanders. Uh, you have Donald Trump with an F and um, Ted Cruz with a D minus and Kasich um, in the middle with a B. Yes. So uh, I, I, starting with kind of the biggest telecom issue for the tech industry over the past couple of years, uh, net neutrality. It's just, it's been hugely important, um, you know, just sort of as a refresher on where that stands. Uh, you know, the FCC had its original net neutrality rules, or I should say one of its original net neutrality rules, because they've had a few iterations of them, thrown out in 2014 by the DC circuit. Uh, we spent all of 2014 uh, and, and a little bit of 2015 trying to get new rules in place. Uh, they passed very strong open internet protections that would limit ISP's ability to discriminate against certain types of traffic, uh, which for start startups, uh, you know, is hugely important because they simply don't have the, you know, the money to pay, you know, for priority uh, when competing against larger incumbents. Uh, so this was a big, big issue for the startup world. Uh, and, you know, over the course of this year, it's it's been, the, the, the order has been in litigation. We're actually expecting uh, a, a ruling from the D.C. Circuit on, on the validity of the FCC's actions any day now. Um, and so consequently, that's been, I think, a big uh, issue for the startup world. Unfortunately, it's been a really politically polarized issue. I think ever since uh, President Obama came out and spoke in favor of uh, strong net neutrality rules, it kind of crystallized into a partisan issue with uh, Democrats generally supporting net neutrality and the FCC's actions and Republicans uh, opposing it. Uh, you know, famously, uh, Ted Cruz called uh, Net neutrality, Obamacare for the internet, uh, which yeah, which is probably the dumbest thing you know, yeah, he said. <laughs> it's tough. I mean, I guess in the sense that the, he doesn't like Obamacare, and apparently he doesn't like net neutrality either. So that's that's problematic. I, I think that's kind of where the uh, the analogy starts to fall apart. Um, Trump has said that he thinks that net neutrality will somehow target conservative media, which you know, if anything, is the exact opposite uh, because it it basically makes it much more difficult for ISPs to uh, favor one type of content over the other. So it actually limits the capacity of these providers to play gatekeepers and and decide what gets through. Um, Both Clinton and Sanders have been very supportive of net neutrality. Uh, They've, they've kind of taken that party line and said, it's, you know, it's really important to preserve diverse voices uh, on the internet and not allow uh, large monopoly uh, gatekeepers to, to limit access. So they've scored really well on that. Um, on questions of you know broadband expansion, I think it's a little bit you know I, I, generally people have supported it. It's not it's not something that's been in front of um, Congress all that often. Um, I would say that you know that's that's one place uh, where Kasich has been actually pretty good. You know he hasn't talked about um, net neutrality, but he he did launch a, a, a broadband expansion program in Ohio, which improved fiber connectivity uh, for research uh, institutions, which is is pretty good um it's generally something that i think uh we need more of now you know clinton when she was secretary of state actually was very vocal in terms of trying to export the the whole notion of internet freedom and the anti-censorship and and those type of measures and she was outspoken in terms of you know kind of protect human rights on the internet was was that a factor at all in your your um calculations 
Yeah, I mean, I think generally candidates that have spoken favorably of the, you know, the need for the open internet to preserve um, free communication, free expression, whether domestically or abroad, you know, they tend to be sort of the same voices that support um, open internet protections domestically. I mean, it's as, as we, we certainly support the notion that, you know, the internet is the greatest tool for innovation and creativity and freedom around. So anything we can do to make sure that it remains that way, I think is, uh, is really important. And, you know, it sort of is reflected in her broader stance towards the open internet. So your composite score based on all these gives, uh, Clinton the edge with a B plus followed by Bernie Sanders um, you have Kasich with C plus, and then we round up with um, Ted Cruz getting D, and Donald Trump being the class clown with F. And uh, I guess, uh, in terms of that overall composite, you're being someone who's immersed in the starter community, how how closely does this resemble the overall view within that community? So I think it's hard to say where individual startup people are on these issues because you know, as as a block, they've they're getting more engaged in politics, but I think it's oftentimes they're voting on sort of personal ideologies. Um, right. I would I would note that these scores, you know, they're not as crystallized as they could be. I mean, I think there's a lot of opportunity still for the candidates to speak about tech issues and to really connect with the tech community as this goes into the general. And, and you know, based upon how that plays out, you can see these scores changing quite a lot because, frankly, you know, there are a lot of incompletes. A lot of these scores are based on just statements people have made rather than actual action or proposals. Uh, so, you know, the, what I hope this scorecard reveals is that, you know, there's a lot of movement that can still happen. And if, if any party or any candidate wants to become the party of tech, uh, it's important to touch on these issues and actually recognize, you know, what the startup world needs and, and put forward proposals that, that improve, uh, you know, the capacity for entrepreneurs to innovate. Um, we're going to take a short break. When we come back, we'll wrap up with Evan and talk more about the 2016 election from the view of the tech community after these messages. You're listening to Cyberlong Business Report only on webmasterradio.fm. Stay tuned for more of the Cyberlaw and Business Report after this brief recess for our sponsors. Whether you are an online business or domain name investor, you need access to the best names. With over 270 million domains already registered, finding the right names at the best price requires a great wingman. Namejet.com puts you in the pilot seat by giving you fast and unparalleled access to some of the best premium and expired domain names on earth. As the number one domain name auction platform, Namejet.com is the best place to find domains for your business or investment. So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to Namejet.com at mock speed to get great domains today. Namejet.com. Are you paying too much for your paid advertising? Or have you quit altogether because it seemed like a huge waste of money? I'm David Ogletree, president of WME Training. Did you know that companies waste 25% of their PPC spend on average? At WME Training, we can show you how to make your AdWords account a lean, mean, converting machine. Whether you're just starting out or want to take your skills to the next level, we have a class for you. Contact the marketing experts at WMETraining.com. The Web Marketing Association presents Great Moments in Website History. 1994, Trey G browses with a high-speed 56K modem. 1997, Donnie W discovers scrolling. 2006, Smudges the Cat becomes an animated GIF. What is your great moment in website history? 
The Web Marketing Association is now accepting entries for the International Web Award Competition. Web Marketing Award winners receive an image plaque, certificate of achievement, higher visibility for your company, valuable feedback from our expert judges, and links to your site from the highly ranked Web Award site. Visit webaward.org to nominate your company, site, or organization. Deadline for entries is May 31st, 2016. Go to webaward.org and sign up today. The best gavel-to-gavel legal news and information on the net is right here. This is the Cyber Law and Business Report, only on webmasterradio.fm. And we're back with Evan Engstrom of Engine. And let me try to put this in context in terms of how important and significant it is what Engine has done uh, in terms of getting the community engaged for 2016. I, I was at a tech policy summit in 2004, and one of the members of the um, one of the members on this panel um, bragged, actually bragged. Actually, this was some figure me. It was 2008. Actually, bragged that he did not pay attention to what happened in Washington. You know that that's irrelevant to this, to us in Silicon Valley, the startup community. It doesn't matter to us. And and I, I approached him afterwards, and I and I was looking at his back, and he's like, "What, what are you looking at?" I said, "Well, I'm looking for the kick me sign, you know, because <laughs> because you know that's what you're doing by ignoring Washington. And then by you know by as we got closer to 2012, that um, other tech policy summits were more um they were engaging in the discussion but it, since the tech community has an engineer's bias they were talking more about process how can the tech community contribute to making the voting process um or the engagement process better and and in the last few years groups like you know engine and others have finally said hey guys you, you got to be at the table you know, and and that's an important thing. You know, I saw that myself firsthand when when I was lobbying on Capitol Hill on tech issues. You know, if you're not at the table, they don't hear you. They don't know what's going on. So I give you guys a lot of credit for getting the startups to Washington for making this effort to make the bridge. And so I, I commend you on this um, scorecard. And now you indicated you guys might update it. Yeah, I mean, th- thank you for that. I appreciate I appreciate the, uh, the the kind words. I mean, I would say that you know, ultimately, as the tech world expands its reach and sort of every company becomes a tech company, it's it's all the more important. And I think people are recognizing how important it is that they get engaged in these issues. Um, I think you know we need to focus also down ticket. So we're going to update this report card. I think as as hopefully candidates talk more about these issues, recognizing what an important constituency this is, uh, and then also look at some of the Senate races to see you know where. Uh, Certain certain folks might have uh, strong favorables uh, to the tech community or, or not, and just you know we want to make sure that you know in this important election where there's a lot on the table, um, tech's voice gets heard, and, and and just sort of holding candidates accountable to say you know you need to be talking about these issues. Uh, you know you can't just ignore them because we are a growing constituency, and and you know what you do will impact uh, job growth in this country. So uh, you know please please pay attention to what we need. Is there any talk about having a tech debate? So it's funny. We did one in Iowa um, back well, way back when the field was pretty large. Uh, and and what was disturbing to us is a lot of the candidates were kind of uh, reticent to get on board because you know this was early in the election cycle, maybe not time to talk detailed tech policy. Um, you know, we we are hoping that you know in the general uh, these issues become 
part of the larger discourse. You've seen questions pop up at, at different debates uh, on tech issues, but you know, I, you know, people are still courting the, the tech community. So I think if, if they're smart, they'll, they'll change that message and, and hopefully focus on it at debates and, and in their larger messaging. Before we went offline, we were talking about whether you know, this, how the scorecard compares to the, um, the view of the community. Uh, do you have a sense for you know who the if there is there a candidate that um, the community is either gravitating towards or gravitating away from? I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's difficult to think of tech as as kind of a distinct voting block in like terms of unified preferences, right? I mean, if there is a candidate that says you know I'm going to make tech a priority, you'll see people go there. But um, I I don't think it's it's one way or the other. I mean, it's really one of the great things about tech is I think it's it sort of transcends partisan divides, and you know some folks will support uh, a Republican candidate, some folks will support a Democratic candidate. Uh, you know, I cert- it's it's certainly still open, so there's still a lot of uh, time to to change minds. But uh, you know, right now I, I think it's too close to call. Now, we only have a few minutes left, so if people want to learn more about um, what you guys are doing or about your work in particular, uh, where should they go? So go to our website, engine.is. Uh, we, you know, feel free to reach out, you know, sign up for our newsletter. Uh, we talk about tech issues uh, you know, that run the gamut from telecom to capital access to immigration. So you know, we always want to hear from people in the community, and if there are issues that are impacting your startup, uh, reach out, let us know what's happening, and we can uh, try to connect you with uh, folks that can solve that problem. Now, in your bio, you, you mentioned you, some of your experiences and your rapidly declining basketball <laughs> skills. Would you care to comment on that? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm old beyond my age. I was, I was a competitive athlete. I played football for a long time, and uh, I'm you know, creaking and, and old and uh, can, you know, can barely move up and down the court. But I'm, I'm unready to give up on the dream. Uh, you know, NBA oh. draft, I'm coming. <laughs> I actually had a client who's, um, whose father had played college ball. And his father was six foot one. Um, he always hoped to follow in his footsteps, but unfortunately, he was like five foot eight, five foot nine. And he made it a point. He actually studied um, how to dunk and trained himself. This, you know, he said this like you know, thirty different muscles have to be trained. Wow. And he, when, the last I talked to him, he was actually very close to dunking. And it, you know, it, which was a great device to use in negotiations because <laughs> I, I would just say, "Listen, this is how my determined my client is. This is what he will do." And know. yeah, and you know, you think he's going to you know bend <laughs> that? This is iron will. He's going to use this, I and like um, so hopefully you, your skills will recover as quickly as Kobe's does. Yes. Um, I've seen a few games this year, and uh, he's he's came close to joining the uh, bricklayers union a few times <laughs> but it's good to see him come back at yes. the end as well so he's, i really go ahead he's a little better than i am but you know if the, any warriors are out there listening i'm i'm ready to suit up tonight if they need me <laughs> well you know it i'm sure that, that, that i'll pass that along i don't know if you <laughs> saw that steph curry actually lost a game of pig to um one of the anaheim angels yesterday wow that's- yeah, so we're running out of time, but that's about all we have today for cyber law and basketball. Um, <laughs> so join us next week for another. Actually, next week we will be traveling. I will be in Washington, actually in meetings. But join us for another edition of Cyber Law and Business Report here, um, right here on Webmaster Radio. This is Bennett Kelly with the Internet Law Center. Check us out at internetlawcenter.net. Until then, have a safe week. Thanks again. Thanks a lot, Evan. Thanks for having me.
This has been a presentation of WebmasterRadio.fm, the world's largest business-to-business radio and podcast network. We welcome you to sample past episodes of this program as well as our complete library of programs on demand or on the air via our 24-7 live audio stream at www.webmasterradio.fm. The opinions expressed on this program are those of the guests and hosts and do not necessarily reflect those of webmasterradio.fm's management or sponsors. Any rebroadcast or redistribution without authorized consent of webmasterradio.fm is prohibited. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.